Welcome to Love Curvy Yoga, the podcast that's all about the intersection between yoga and body acceptance. Today, my guest is Tara Brock, who I couldn't be more honored to be talking with. Tara is a clinical psychologist, author, and senior meditation teacher of Insight Meditation. Tara's books, Radical Acceptance and True Refuge, are ones that I recommend constantly to everyone I can. So if you haven't read them yet and you're listening, you might just want to hit pause and go grab them and then come back. Um, I am so glad to have her here. Welcome, Tara. Oh, thank you. And I'm, I'm really, really happy to be with you. Thank you. Well, I wanted to kick us off with a question about your relationship with your body as a young person. What was that like? Well, it was not in my consciousness until it burst through as self-aversion when uh, around age 16, I think, I, was when I started overeating and gaining weight and became painfully self-conscious and hated my body and hated myself for eating. And so really from ages 16 to 19, um, my relationship was one of being at war. Mm. And, uh, you know, trying to control my eating and becoming bulimic, not bulimic in the sense of, you know, diet and then binge, diet and then binge. And um, it was it was a very a searingly painful phase that that I still can sense where it lives in my body and, and my heart because it was so difficult. Mm. What helped you to shift that? Well, I. Got, I began to practice yoga and I began meditation and, um, and, and I think just getting to know myself, like being present with myself, um, being present with, with what really was hunger, um, being very, very gentle with myself. I, I, I grew out of the behaviors but still could trace in my psyche um, how much the imprint of our culture was there, that there was always some striving to be thinner and some sense of dissatisfaction. So I you know, I had to watch that over the decades. Um, mm. but, but, I, but I grew out of the, the, um, the binge eating, the obsessive compulsive overeating uh, probably around age 19. Mm. And did yoga and meditation come into your life at the same time? Yeah, they did. I mean, I began with, it was called yoga, but we would have periods of silence and instructions in how to collect the mind. So, um, and then the, and then over time, the yoga became more in the background and the meditation more in the foreground. Mm. One of the things that I really am so grateful to you for your teaching is how you bring the body in to meditation. I feel like there's so many misconceptions around how meditation is just all about mind and thought. And I'd love to hear more about how you relate embodiment and meditation in your own practice and in your teaching. Yeah, sure. I mean, you're right. There's there's some some ideas of meditation, like we're supposed to have some out-of-body experience of crystal rainbows of light. <laughs> Right. It's it's you know, and really, I consider meditation as a way to relax back into reality, and reality includes uh, this this alive uh, embodiment that's right here. So, in my understanding, if we're not awake, mindful, experiencing our our body and our sensations, uh, we're dissociated. We're mm -hmm. cut off, and that there's no way to really 
love this life. We can't love this life unless we're in our bodies. I mean, love is not a, a concept. It's a, it's a felt sense experience of, of tenderness and appreciation that you actually feel in your body. And we can't, we can't experience uh, real creativity if we're not embodied. And, you know, everything we most cherish, real contact and intimacy with others, we really need to be here for it. Mm-hmm. So, so for my own practice, I, you know, because I grew out of yoga, which is in my sense a, a, a meditation postures that really are meditations uh, that are physic- based on, in the body, um, that was my ground level. And, um, you know, everything I teach is that the realm of body and sensation is the foundation of every other experience we have. So when we're having an emotion it's uh, it comes through as sensations in the body when we're having when we're thinking obsessively. There's a correlate of what's going on in our body in any moment. So if we want to be fully here, we need to be in touch with what's going on in the body. Mm-hmm. And I'll just say one other thing, Anna, which is that um, we think we are our body. We 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 tend to think that our body defines us in ways like you know I am this body and. And we constantly live in reactivity to what our feelings are and appearance and so on, whether we're judging it as great or bad. And the alternative in in meditation practice is to directly contact the experience of our embodiment, the sensations, the life here with kindness and compassion. And then there's space for pleasant and unpleasant to arise. It's kind of like knowing you're the ocean, letting the waves of of what our experiences are move through, but not not identifying as a cluster of waves. So that's the, the power of being mindful of the body is that you discover a kind of wholeness where you're not you're not in reactivity to life. Right. Something you just said gave me an interesting reframe. I'd love to hear what you think about this. So um Part of Curvy Yoga, of course, is talking and thinking about body acceptance and how does that practice kind of come through. And I think that yoga is such a powerful tool, as is meditation, for really, like you said, being present in the body. But part of what you just said made me think, rather than that being a way that we accept the body, it's almost like being in the body is the acceptance practice itself, like a kind of a reverse of that. What do you think? Mm -hmm. Well, it's almost like there's not like a self that's like a self that's getting inside the body. The body is part of what awareness experiences. It's right. like yeah. inside awareness. And the more we're resting in in our awareness, the more we it's like resting in the ocean and sensing the waves are part of us, mm-hmm. but they define us. And so body sensations arise. Oh, okay, body sensations, feeling directly. Just the way, way the ocean feels the wave. It's not separate from it, but it's not confined and it's not defined by it. Mm-hmm. Okay, now a thought's arising like a wave. Okay, thinking. Okay, now there's an emotion. So we include it all with a, with a sense of this is all part of my beingness, but it doesn't define me. And there's a, a quality of equity and tenderness but we're not caught or stuck right and definitely not forcing about just being there yes exactly exactly mm-hmm. there's there's two ways that med- there's two wings to meditation really that allow us to have that kind of vastness and full presence at once and and one of the wings is the wing of 
clearly seeing what's happening. And if you had to say the question that goes with that wing, it's what is happening inside me right now? Mm. And for anyone that's listening, if you just ask that question, you know, what's happening inside me right now? You can sense how with that wing of attention, you start contacting your direct experience, the waves. And then the other wing is the wing of of love or allowing, and that's the wing that says, you know, can I let this be? Mm-hmm. And, and, and so, it, again, if you, say, if you say that to yourself, can I let this be or can I be with this? You start sensing that there's a space that can include what's there without interfering with it. Right. That is the key to a meditative presence, to directly, courageously contact what's happening, but also sense the space that can let it be just as it is. Then there's a quality of freedom in the midst of this mysterious life. Right, because then if we run into resistance or shame or any of our ways that we shut down, it's, we can let that in too. Exactly right. And that's what we run into. In other words, as soon as we really start getting present, uh, we start finding what we've been running away from. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of people hear, you know, oh, meditation makes you feel better. And, <laughs> one, you know, one of one, there's one therapist that said, you know, told his client that, you know, go to this retreat. Meditation will make you feel better. And so the guy goes to the retreat. He comes back to the to the therapist and says, well, you know, I I felt a whole lot of anger. I felt a lot of shame. I felt, you know, like I really got in touch with my sense of unworthiness. You told me it would make me feel better. And he said, yeah. Meditation made you feel better, it made you feel your shame better and feel your anger better and your unworthiness better. And that's the truth. It's like, you know, one, one great wise uh, teacher said that uh, the real question is in any moment, what am I unwilling to feel? Mm. And for most of us, there's a very deep, deep sense of not good enough, that something's wrong with me. And in Radical Acceptance, my first book, I called this the, the trance of unworthiness. And if we want to be honest about getting in touch with ourselves, part of that means being willing to contact the feelings of shame, of, of not enough, that really live in our body, the squeeze and fear of those feelings in our body. And so a lot of what I teach when I teach people about meditation is how to bring those two wings you know, okay, so what's happening inside me? And can I let be, kindly let be, to this place of shame that we, you know, if we don't, if we're not willing to be with it, it actually runs our life. Right. I mean, there's so many people that that their relationships uh, with others, you can't really be intimate with another person because there's some part of them that deep down thinks, well, if they really knew me, they wouldn't like me. And they can't take chances at work or take risks because they don't trust, you know, their own, that they're not going to fail. And and really hard to relax into the moment. And certainly for people, you know, most of our culture, I think, has eating disorders and consuming disorders. I mean, we're, you know, there's so much fear and anxiety in our nervous system that we, self-soothing is the bottom line. And then we add on to that a feeling of I'm bad. Right. That's the crippling pain. You know, I've worked with a lot of people with um, addictive disorders, and it's not until people face that layer of shame, that trance of unworthiness, that they can actually begin to do the healing of the very roots of the addiction. 
the shame binds us. So, so when I work with people with meditation and, and bringing it into the body and into the places of where our wounds and our shame are held, one of the first steps is truly a, a, a process of self-forgiveness, mm-hmm. self-compassion. And I, you know, I, I sometimes will say, you know, it's not your fault mm-hmm. that you're, oh, you know, whether it's alcoholism or binge eating or whatever it is, I'll say it's not your fault. And at first people are afraid, well, if it's not my fault, how am I going to ever take responsibility and do anything about it? Right. But it's actually not that way. Mm-hmm. It's if we really get that there is everything from the um, complete pathology of our culture to the way we were brought up to our genetics to all these other factors, we didn't want to be a binge eater or a binge drinker. It's just it's what it's what cons- what grew out of all the past conditioning. If we can take away the self-blame, we can begin to look with more clarity and kindness at what's really the root. And, and I'll just say one more thing about this, because I know I'm going on and on, but this is a place... Oh, this is great. Yeah, thank you. This is where I find the most suffering is, is that um, I sometimes give the metaphor, if you're walking in the woods and you saw a little dog at the base of a tree and you went to pet it, but then it lurched at you with its fangs bared and, and you know, real fierce. And you'd go from being friendly to, like, bad dog. Mm. Yeah. You look closer and notice that the dog's leg is in a trap. And then you shift to, oh, you poor thing. Mm. Well, anybody that is doing behaviors that we judge, including ourselves, like hurting ourselves with our addictions, we've got a leg in a trap. There's some, there's some way that we're hurting and we're trying to relieve it. And it's the best way we know how for now. Mm-hmm. And if we don't forgive ourselves, we can't find a better way because the self-blame locks us in. So self-compassion is the name of the game. I mean, I'll often put my hand on my own heart and say, you know, it's okay, sweetheart. And, and just try to, like, dissolve some of the blame so I can actually look more deeply at what's going on. Yeah, I was thinking about when you were just talking my own experience with dieting and how my reaction for so many years was to double down. So mm-hmm. when it wasn't working, inevitably, because I was using it as a tool against myself, my reaction was just, okay, so I just need a different diet and I need to do it harder and more. And it wasn't until I could start to loosen that and really be with what's really happening here um, that things could start to shift and I could learn to be just in my body like you were talking about. But I think, like you said, we don't learn those tools many of us very early in life no you're exactly right that's a beautiful description we learn the opposite we learn that uh to be at war with ourselves right and the you know the only way to stop the war is to begin to get oh my gosh you know how many moments of my life have i really sacrificed to being down at my, on myself. Like how many moments that I could have enjoyed another person or the sunset or, you know, just breathing and being, but instead I was, you know, just completely in that prison of something's wrong with me. And if we can get, it's kind of like get this soul suffering that comes when we see the landscape of our life that we've been so at war, then we begin to get more committed actually to saying, okay, I want to stop the war. I want to be at home in my own skin. And that's the first step of real transformation. 
Yeah, it's kind of like that experience. Um, I don't know if you've had this, but I have and I've heard from other people where you look back on a photo of yourself from whatever time in the past and think, I was so beautiful. <laughs> and then that moment you felt terrible or too big or whatever. Um, it's like you have the time for that landscape. But what you're talking about is, can we create that landscape now without having to wait and look back 10 years? Exactly right. Exactly right. We're in such a trance. I mean, in, we're, there's so many moments that on some level we're thinking things aren't okay. Mm-hmm. And it, and it has to do with body and it has to do on so many levels with the sense that we're not enough in our life. And so I find the first step is to get it. Okay, this is the trance of unworthiness. This is gripping my life and I love this life and I want to wake up out of it. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in how the practice of acceptance has evolved for you over time. Well, I think as I've been describing, I started getting the suffering of being at war. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so my my deep prayer was, you know, and may I accept this life, may I accept myself just as I am. And um, and out of that prayer drew me to meditation because, I mean, now science has language for it, which is neuroplasticity, that the patterning of being at war, the patterning of feeling deficient, the patterning of anxiety, it's all it's changeable and you can actually train yourself to pay attention just the way we know physical exercise brings physical health you can train yourself to pay attention with meditation in a way that changes your neural pathways and actually enables you to have more positive emotions more of a sense of confidence touch more peace so i really i i joined an ashram and i got very deep into the practices, the meditation practices, really a presence mm-hmm. that would help me to uh, enter the moment, enter this body in an alive way, you know, really bring compassion and presence to the moment-to-moment flow of experience. And that, that training has made it so that there's more moments of remembering this oceanness and and really being at peace with the different waves that move through. And that doesn't mean there's not forgetting. (laughs) (laughs) Back into that sense of thinking, you know, I'm a separate self at war with myself. But, Mm -hmm. you know, that's no longer um, a story I believe in so much. Mm -hmm. How do we work with forgetting? Forgetting? Mm Mm-hmm. The way that it works for most of us is that forgetting leads to a lot of suffering. Mm -hmm. And it shows up either because we find out that we're really feeling disconnected from other people, or we see our our behavior patterns go, you know, really berserk. In in some way, we see that how it plays out in our life, and something in us knows, you know, I'm not really at at home with myself. And one palliative caregiver did... She described being with thousands of people and saying the greatest regret of the dying was I didn't live true to myself. Mm. And, and I think it's not just the dying. It's all of us that there can be an undercurrent of disappointment in, in how we're doing our lives that we're not staying true to, to who we know we really can be, like to the, to the deepest, truest of what we are. And so, so for me, meditation is a way... And, and I think it has to be, just like with exercise, it has to have a rhythm and a daily quality of um, everyday remembering. And, the, and if you just even practice for a short time, 
each day just come into stillness with the intention of being with your experience, you know, like really just noticing the sensations and emotions and waves that are moving through and with the intent of, you know, noticing it and not reacting. And of course we get lost in thoughts and then we gently come back. But a daily practice, actually in time you start discovering that that experience of uh, awareness and tenderness that is just here is more the truth of who you are than any uh, story or narrative about a bad self and a self that needs to try harder and self that's failing at this or a self that's better than other people, whatever the story is, that's not it's it becomes more of a oh, okay that's just a story and we're more at home in this kind of mystery that's right here though that beingness that's listening right now and those you know the the awareness that's looking through these eyes well it's kind of like the practice creates the foundation for you to notice that forgetting and then noticing the forgetting can bring you back to the practice that's exactly right and it gets more more you realize that there's less and less lag time mm. that I can go off in a trance and go off in some obsessive thought or whatever but there's less it's shorter now that I notice oh okay you know I'm off on that train track and you know going down that track and and gently say right here right here just this just this and then if if it turns out I was off on something that is got a lot of um, anxiety or irritation or whatever when I come back I, I offer some gesture of kindness to myself it could be just simply you know sometimes I use the words from a Hawaiian healer uh, Lou Hen who's who was who would just say I'm sorry and I love you mm-hmm. and I'll just offer those any gesture of kindness we give to ourselves even when we're not believing the gesture just because we we know that on some level it's good for us it actually changes our biochemistry. We, we soften, we open. There's more possibility of coming back home. So I'm a real believer in offering kindness to ourselves. Cause, and, it also, and it always widens out. If we're more in a kind relationship with our inner life, the circles widen. So we naturally are including others in our hearts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's all just growing from there for ourselves and others. That's right. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. I really appreciate your time and your insight. Oh, it's totally my pleasure. Um, I, I feel like those that are with you and listening, Anna, are um, really on a, on a beautiful path of awakening, you know, through coming home and really honoring this, our physical being, and, and really in some way from that, finding the the creativity and heart to really live fully true to ourselves in our lives. So I'm, I'm very grateful for the work you're doing. Mm, thank you so much for that. Well, I will send people to your website and connect them with your books and get them into connection with you more if they are not already. So thank you again so much. Okay, many blessings. Thank you, you too. And thanks to everyone listening. 